Thank you very much for checking out episode number 62 of the Paltrowcast with Darren Paltrowitz. This episode has three interviews that I taped over the course of October and November with great entertainers. Those people are Johnny Brennan, Ken Shamrock, and B. Miller. Now, when I say entertainers, all three of them come from very, very different paths. Johnny Brennan, which is the last interview you're going to hear, is the founder and principal talent behind the Jerky Boys, one of my earliest comedic influences, which I told him directly. The new Jerky Boys album is the first album that the Jerky Boys have done in 20 years, literally 20 years. It's put out through Comedy Dynamics. But interestingly, that is far from the only thing that Johnny Brennan has done on a big scale. For example, He's been doing voices for Family Guy on Fox for literally 20 years now, or at least he started in the year 2000, and it grew and grew from there. Ken Shamrock has the middle interview in this episode. Whether you know him from professional wrestling, MMA, as an author, as an actor, as a podcaster, for his owning of a bare-knuckle fighting promotion, however you know him, great guy who's been working for a long time. He's currently one of the top wrestlers in Impact Wrestling, which recently made him a Hall of Fame performer. What do you call it? A Hall of Fame inductee. That's what I'll call it, inductee. And he was inducted into the Impact Wrestling Hall of Fame by none other than Dwayne The Rock Johnson. That is kind of a big deal when the biggest movie star in the world and one of the biggest wrestlers of all time is going to sing your praises publicly. Great talking with Ken. This is the second time I'd spoken with him, as I believe our last interview was taped in June and more focused on the Valor Bare Knuckles promotion. First up, you're going to hear my chat with B. Miller. Her latest music video is called Forever is a Lie, and that one is on the new EP called Elated, which was put out through Hollywood Records. To say that B. has come a long, long way from her time as a preteen on the show X Factor would be an understatement. She makes very honest yet hooky music. It, you can't call her pop can't call her rock, you can't call her singer-songwriter. She's kind of all over the place in a great way, and it was really a pleasure to speak with her. This is my first time talking with her. It was before she did the live stream benefit for the Save Our Stages cause, which is really important because when you think about it, if we are not taking care of live music's promoters, live music's performers, we're not going to have live music once the COVID-19 pandemic is over with, which is hopefully soon. But either way, my three interviews for this episode are with Johnny Brennan from the Jerky Boys, Ken Shamrock, and B. Miller. Hope you enjoy, and thank you so much for listening. The EP Elated, when did you actually finish it? 
I think that we finished writing all the songs maybe November of last year. So, you know, almost, almost a full year since we um, finished the writing process because, you know, I, I always go home um, to visit my family in New Jersey. I live in California and I, I always come home to New Jersey to visit my family for the holidays every year. So, um, you know, I kind of, I got off tour. I maybe wrote, you know, another uh, couple songs after I got off tour um, like literally a handful before I eventually went home to visit my family for the holidays. And then, you know, it was the new year and then it was a pandemic. So yeah. um, luckily we kind of finished writing everything in the nick of time, but we had been writing for, you know, at least like a year and a half before then. So it was a very long process until I felt like I had written everything that I wanted to say about my life as of, you know, right now. Is that Maplewood, New Jersey? Yes, it is. That's where I am right now. Wow. I mean, New York, New Jersey, we're out there. But <laughs> but what was it that made you go out to L.A.? I, I know that you've had a record deal from a very young age. Is that what inspired that? Um, yeah, I mean, I guess, you know, I never wanted to leave home. I'm, I'm, a, I'm a New York girl at heart. You know, I'm an East Coast girl um, at my core. And so for the longest time, I was like, oh, fuck L.A. You know, I don't want to go out there, stupid, you know. Now I feel a little bit differently. Now I've lived there for so long that it kind of, mm -hmm. you know, started to actually feel like home, which scares me a little bit. <laughs> um, but yeah, I mean, I guess I really did just go out there because that was where all the writers and producers I wanted to work with lived. And, you know, it's where my, my, my team was and, you know, my, my label, my management, you know, whoever else. Um, but mostly it was about collaborators. Um, yeah. And, you know, certain things that I physically had to be there for that I just, you know, I, as much as I have to fly during non-pandemic times to do my job, I hate flying. I hate traveling. I hate dealing with all this stuff. <laughs> um, so I figured it might just be easier to be there. And also, I wouldn't live in New Jersey still if I lived on the East Coast. I want to be in New York City, which I honestly cannot afford. So I was like, you know what, whatever, we're just going to go to L.A. and make it work. Well, you mentioned the collaborators, Justin Tranter being one of them that you've worked with. He's another New York guy that went to L.A. I find whenever I go to L.A. that everyone is from New York and New Jersey, and they just mm -hmm. had their moment where they went, enough, I want nice weather. Was the weather a factor at all for you? Honestly, no, I really miss the seasons. I've, you know, I've been in New Jersey for a couple of days now. Um, and it's, a, you know, it's the first time that I've left California since you know, yeah. early March. So. Um, I'm really great. Last night there was a storm and there was even like a tornado warning in New York city, which was fucking insane. I, I, I really, I was like, Oh my God. Um, but that was really insane. Um, but I, I was happy. I kind of opened my window last <laughs> night, just let the breeze and all the, the wind and the noise and the rain kind of come into my window because I actually really miss the weather. I don't necessarily like for it to be sunny and, and warm every day. Um, you know, I love the snow. I love the rain. I love storm. I love the smell of stormy weather, if that makes sense. Like it just has a different, I don't know. I'm a, I'm a moody, I, I'm a moody person. I like when the, when the weather is moody too. I was going to say there's a big correlation to your music where you might be saying something optimistic, but then there's something really dark <laughs> beneath it. Everything is multi-layered and it sounds like your weather preferences as yep. well, not to play doctor or anything like that, but <laughs> it's it's really refreshing with your music how smart and informed the lyrics are. Do the lyrics always come first? Ooh, that's an interesting. Uh, not always. I think 
you know, people are always very curious about the, the process of each artist, you know, writing and creating music. Um, but it is different for everyone. And, and for me, it, it's not only different from other artists, how I create, but it's, it's different from myself, you know, one week than it was the last. Um, you know, sometimes I will be sitting alone in my apartment and I'll have a melody idea pop into my head and I'll record it on my phone. I'll show it to the producer the next day in the studio, or sometimes I'll write a poem or I'll write about something in my journal, or I'll just think about a certain thought very deeply. And then, you know, that kind of comes for, it just, it really, or other times, you know, I have no ideas until I get to the studio and then a producer Mm. will start playing something and I'll start humming along and then the lyrics kind of follow with it. So, you know, there are many different ways that I create, but, lyrics are very important to me. I have a lot of friends who, you know, are always like, I don't, you know, they're like, I don't care about the lyrics. I just think this melody is cool or the production is hard or, you know, whatever it is that they say. Um, But for me, lyrics have always been really important. Um, I've always loved writing. Um, I loved, I've always loved journaling and and writing poems and, you know, lyrics really speak to me. Um, They always have and um yeah i definitely spend a lot of time once i do come up with the idea of what i want to say i i do spend a lot of time you know making sure that each thing is phrased in a way that i think is interesting and 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 also not too complex because um one of my favorite quotes of all time is you know people confuse art with confusion which is um you know something that one of my favorite artists uh Keaton Henson said at one point and i think that that's really an interesting point. It's like people think that when you look at something, you're like, oh, I don't understand it. It's artistic. You know, that that's <laughs> what art is. Right. But I think that art is being able to communicate and express, you know, your own feelings and interpretations of your experiences and of the world around you in a way that is you, but is open-ended enough for other people to insert their own perspective into it and feel understood by it. Um, so I definitely spend a lot of time, you know, working on the lyrics to make sure that there's something that I believe and something that's true to me, but mm-hmm. and something that like satisfies me and it like feels eloquent enough, yeah. but is also open-ended enough for other people to, you know, make their, about their own experiences. But if I heard a song from you and the lyrics were basically, I want you, I need you, please be with me. I'd be like, Oh, something's, something's, something's wrong. This does not sound like her because <laughs> you, you make these interesting revelatory kind of feelings while also saying universal thoughts or universal truths. It's, it's almost like you probably have some pressure. Like that's too generic. We have to spice it up a little bit. Yeah, I definitely, um, do feel like sometimes, you know, I'll have, I'll, I'll work with certain people or someone will send me a song and be like, why don't you, you know, here's a song that I wrote if you want to record it or collaborate with me on it. And, and you know, sometimes I, I hear things I'm like, well, could I rewrite this thing? <laughs> like I, honestly, a lot of my, my fans were confused and made note of how, made, made sure that I knew how confused and thrown off they were that I had like technically a love song on my EP because as long as I have been writing music, I haven't done that you know I've definitely released when I was like 15 I released songs that were written by somebody else when I didn't have as much of a say in my own music um you know I released you know more like cutesy love songs but as far as long as I've been writing my music I haven't done that and they were very confused because I don't say things that are like oh I I miss you and you know your cute little smile and whatever I don't typically um feel that for people but I also definitely don't write about it um 
And then they eventually realized, you know, after I did a few interviews that um, the love song is actually a song that I wrote about the earth, about mother earth and like how, you know, beautiful the world can be if you allow yourself to see it that way and see it, you know, for, for, for the beauty that, that you can find that like you will eventually experience. Um, and then they're like, Oh, okay. That makes sense. But yeah, I definitely, I definitely have reached a point where even my fans are thrown off. If I say something that, that is like too, too nice and too positive, they're like, who are you? And what happened to our glass half empty negative, you know, <laughs> negative B Miller, where'd she go? Well, the key is people are listening. They are looking in spite of having such unique music. Not a lot of people can say they have billions of views of their content. Even you know, artists on classic rock radio whose songs have been played for 45 years, I don't think they reached the billions mark. So, Not? No, I, I don't see how that'd be possible because if their music... No, I was like, wait, are you, are you... I was like, I didn't do that. Don't you have a two billion statistic or something like that of... Oh my God, do I actually, I don't fucking know. I don't ever check that stuff because I get really, I feel like I put my music out and I put out my videos and whatever else, my content, and I'm like, okay, goodbye. Like it's done and I don't want to look at it and I don't want to think about it sure. because nothing I can do to fix it anymore. So I honestly don't know, but that's exciting if that happened, I guess. Well, uh, whatever it is, again, people are paying attention. You weren't dropped after your first album like most people are. And that's incredible. So you got time for three quick questions and then you're free and on time and on track? Yeah. Okay. First question. What is your favorite song on the new EP? Oh, everybody always wants to know that. It's so, it's not, it's like they're all, that would be like my mom having to t pick between me and my siblings, you know? It's not. Like, doesn't she like you better? I mean, yeah, between you and I, but Duh. don't tell them. My sister's literally down so she can hear me, I'm sure. I'm sorry, Georgia. Um, <laughs> um, but I, I don't know. I guess Self-Crucify surprised me the most because I didn't necessarily realize I was ready to confront those things in my own music um, until I did until it happened mm -hmm. it, you know it kind of came out the day that i wrote it um and that really shocked me because as much as my music has always been very truthful and and um real to me um i definitely have never gotten quite that personal and i said things in that song that i haven't even said to the people that i i wrote those things about so um that is a little bit, you know, that, that really shocked me. So I, I do really love the fact that I was able to, to, to say those things and, and release that song and, and not, you know, kind of go back on it and be like, never mind. Um, but I don't know. I, I, I also really love I Never Want to Die because I, I love that style of music. And, um, you know, that one also caught me by surprise. Um, and I just had a lot of fun when I made it. And it's very different from anything else I've ever made. Mm -hmm. um, but I, I love it. I can't wait to perform that one live. I just, I think, you know, musically, stylistically, it's, it's really different, but it's closer to the things that I actually personally listen to myself. So, you know, from other artists. So I don't know. I, I definitely didn't think that I would ever be able to put out. I just didn't think I'd be allowed to make um, music that is a little bit more alternative sounding like that song is um, because technically, of course, I am a pop artist and, hmm. You know, there is a certain level of a certain degree of censorship sometimes over certain things that I want to release. But yeah, that one, 
I also love, but I love them all. I don't know. I wouldn't have released them if I thought any of them were shitty. Cool. I'm glad to hear that you're free from A&R hell. Uh, question two <laughs> should be easier. Favorite TV show that you could recommend to people looking for a new series? Ooh, honestly, I've been binging all the American Horror, um, American Horror Story um, seasons recently because I kind of fell off after like season four and I've been stuck, uh, you know, quarantining at my mom's house for two days. So I've just been watching a lot of that. But honestly, I love The Good Place. That's a great show. Oh, yeah. I love Community. That show is so funny. I, I don't really love it as much after um you know some of the main characters leave you know once donald glover left i was kind of like oh, okay um he was like a very important character mm -hmm. um but yeah i mean those i would say are two of like my favorite shows that i've watched recently regardless of what i'm currently binging sure jeremy Barry, indeed and the closer yes. for uh any last words for the kids um you know, I never really have any closing statements, you know, I guess just that I'm grateful that there are people in this world who actually care about what I have to say and who like my music and, and feel connected not only to me, but to each other because of that. You know, I'm grateful that a lot of my fans have found one another and befriended each other and, you know, found common interests through me. Um, I think that's really cool. And yeah, I guess that's really all I have to say on that. Like Forrest Gump, that's all you have to say about that. Well, thank you so much for your time. Really hope to see you live in New York when things get normal-ish again, but really keep up the greatness and glad you're putting out music so regularly these days. Thank you. Thanks. How you doing? Hey, can you, can you uh, hear me okay over there? I can hear you good. That looks like the world's most dangerous podcaster. Uh, congratulations on the launch of that podcast. How long was it from coming up with the idea to actually having it out there? Uh, I think it's probably six months and we just, we launched it and, and um, yeah, just, just what I do. I just talk about stuff. <laughs> right. It doesn't seem like you have any shortage of things to talk about because you can call together all sorts of parts of your past. How far in advance do you record your podcast from it coming out? Oh, sometimes I remember a few of the times we did it, just did it live. And then um, some of the other ones, we just, while we were doing it live, then we, after we were done, then we would record another one. So we just, just kind of started doing it. And then, of course, I got uh, involved with some other people, uh, Mastermind Media, who um, started jumping in and started taking over some of the editing and, and started be, be making it a little bit more professional. So, yeah, it was just something I just did at first. And then, and then it, 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 uh, it started to, to become interesting and, and blow up a little bit. So we just jumped on it. Yeah. So where you're at in your career is very interesting in that people don't just know you from one thing, not just the podcast, not just the UFC legend. But of course, we were connected because of impact and you're a Hall of Famer now, the rare Hall of Famer who's still an active talent. When you came into impact, did you know that it was going to be a long term play? No, um, actually, when I go anywhere, I don't really, I, I, I'm so focused on the here and now. Um, and I don't look at the past tomorrow, you know. So it wasn't like I went in there thinking that, hey, I'm going to do this, I'm going to do that. But my goal was when I set out to get back into pro wrestling was to capture a title. And so it's always been that. Anytime I got involved with something, it wasn't, it's not like I just say, hey, I'm coming back to pro wrestling because I'm just going to, 
I'm going to do it and see what happens. I came back for wrestling because I wanted to make a statement and I wanted to get back after it and, and be the best at it again. And so I made that commitment and, 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 and I'm sticking to it. Yeah, you have a very interesting relationship with Sammy Callahan and Impact, and it's been going on for a long time in different facets. Did you ever meet Sammy before coming to Impact? Uh, we've crossed paths before, uh, but never really were in, we had an introduction. And so, yeah, it was it was rough. It was a rough start knowing him because he's he's cocky, um, he's arrogant, um, but he's one of the greatest minds in pro wrestling. Uh, I think he's got really a great insight. Um, and at the same time, though, the stuff that he says, even though it may be brass or hurtful or rude or whatever it is, if you look behind it, most of the stuff that he's saying is true. Uh, you just don't want to hear it <laughs> so, or the way that he's saying it. So um, it's a very unique individual. Is it true uh, what he says that Ohio is the best state in America? Well, of course it's true. I mean, to him, right? I mean, if he's saying that. It's, he's basically saying to him, right? I mean, so people take, a, like I said, read into what he's saying, not what he's saying to you. Read it what he's saying. This is what he believes. And everybody has a right to believe what they want. Right. Doesn't mean it's true, right? But we all take it in this grand fashion that he says everybody else sucks the way he's saying it. <laughs> But like I said, just you got to slow down and rip through all the brass and the cockiness and listen to what he's saying, right? Right. Um, it's something that he feels, right? Don't mean that we all have to feel the same way. <laughs> and speaking of states, am I getting you from Reno, Nevada? Yes, Reno, Nevada. Yep. Okay. I have had the pleasure of interviewing David Coverdale from Whitesnake, and he's also a Reno guy. Have you ever run around him or run into him around town? heard of him but i don't think we've ever run into each other it's interesting to me how much of the impact roster lives in nevada but i think you're the only one that's in reno yeah yeah um uh brian um you know the reno scum uh, he's from here so oh, I, train with him no, a bit. I didn't make that connection reno scum would have to be reno adjacent <laughs> right <laughs> My bad. What was it that brought you out to Reno in the first place? And I asked that because usually wrestlers live in Tampa or places that have direct flights to other places. Yeah, you know, um, I grew up in this area. I, was, I, I actually went to high school in, in Lassen County, Susanville. And then Reno is only 84 miles from there, which is the biggest city near Susanville. So it's kind of like with my backyard where I grew up at. It's a small town, but it's a big city. Um, but it's got all the out outdoor sports. Uh, it's got winter, fall, spring, summer. It's got all of the uh, stuff that, and to me, it's, it's the unique thing of being able to drive 40 minutes away and be able to ski um, and, and hit the ski and then uh, drive 45 minutes down towards another area and water ski. And so there's all kinds of stuff to do here, camping, hunting, fishing. I mean, it's just a lot of great things to do in Reno. And it has the big city kind of atmosphere and feel, but it's a small city. It's the biggest little city in the world, as they call it. The biggest little city in the world, not just hyperbole right there. Well, bringing it back to impact, that was really amazing that you had Dwayne Johnson induct you into the Hall of Fame. Was that tweet actually you asking him, or did you ask him offline and then said, hey, I'm going to tweet this at you? Well, me and The Rock have 
built a pretty strong relationship while we were at the WWF. You know, we worked with one another for a while and we had really helped each other really sharpen our skills and grow to where we were able to branch off and do other things in our, in our career. Uh, obviously I had a career before I went there in, in the world uh, of fighting, but in pro wrestling, you know, um, I had, had done a little bit before that. So going in there and working with the rock and being able to, uh, you know, kind of help each other grow. Uh, I thought we had developed a pretty good relationship. Uh, Bret Hart being a guy that uh, was more of a mentor to me. He'd been around a lot, lot longer, and I was able to pick his brain quite a bit on stuff that would help me and also be able to help uh, me and The Rock develop uh, the matches that we had. So I picked uh, Bret's brain quite a bit. And then Mick Foley, just being around him, uh, just brightened up your day, just being around the guy. He never took anything too serious. Uh, and it was always a joy to be around. So he stuck out quite a bit to me during my career of just a great guy and a good guy to be around. So um, those guys were pretty important. And again, those guys, you know, like Stone Cold and, and The Undertaker and, and many more others that um, were definitely very influential in, in my career and in, in my development. So I was very fortunate to have those friendships and to be able to ask um, for them to step out, and especially with their busy schedules and things that they've got going on, and be able to, you know, give that induction for me. And I was very grateful for that. Well, the Impact roster is very interesting. And I've used the word interesting because there's a lot of interesting things going on. And uh, the Impact roster that we look at right now has former world champions. It has people who are homegrown to Impact. Just a mix of the best of now, the best of tomorrow, etc. I don't think I've seen you cross paths with the Good Brothers before. Are, are those folks that you knew on any level? No, actually, um, it's the first time I've actually crossed paths uh, at this level with them. And so uh, it was nice to have them there because those guys are tremendous. I mean, their talent is just tremendous. So being able to add them to the roster was just a huge bonus for us and, uh, and a joy, too, because – uh, being able to have them in the ring and do the work that they're doing uh, in impact, it just elevates us all. Right. Is there any chance we might see you on a Talking Shop of Mania pay-per-view of some sort? That's not typical Ken Shamrock fair to me, but you have done a lot of surprising things over the years. Yeah, nothing's out, you know, nothing is uh, off limits to me. If I can do the dick flip, I can do anything. <laughs> <laughs> that's the best way that I could have heard it explained um, a, a question about your bare knuckle promotion is it true that Shannon Briggs is headed there um, I, I'm not sure but it's a possibility because Shannon uh, if anybody knows anything about Shannon Shannon's a bare knuckle fighter um, he's also an MMA fighter he's also a pro wrestler um, and uh, he has some of the most tremendous knockouts in bare knuckle uh, he's a vicious guy and I don't think he ever got the credit that he deserved within the MMA world because he's, he's fought a whole lot. And he is a really, really tough individual. Well, hope to do see uh, that happen eventually. So two quick questions, and then you're a free man. And the first one is, besides Impact uh, Tuesday nights, every week on Access TV, what's your favorite show on television at the moment? Oh, dude, without a question, you know, it's got to be The Walking Dead. And then, of course, there's the the new one out. I forget what it was called, uh, today, uh, to Tomorrow or The Day, or, or or it's the new one out. I just would bring that on. World Beyond, it. my wife is the whispering. World, 
Yes, that's <laughs> it. That's it. Sorry, I just actually I just started watching that. That's awesome. I love that. But yeah, I'm into that stuff because it's to me, I'm into anything, even the world world stuff where the world comes to an end and everybody, you know, has to, to band together and then you find out who human beings really are. You got good ones and you got the bad ones and they end up separating themselves into survival. And so for me, that's the part that's just intriguing to me with those kinds of movies of, of how we would and, and, and there's a lot it's predicted pretty pretty well on how vicious people can be. Um, when that when when structure falls well said well the closer uh, any last words for the kids yeah man make sure that um, and again it's in the these these days man I mean it's hard times but if I can't I cannot stress enough about education right now because the way that things are going now the children and the kids that are in high school um, they're being deprived of a great education, and that, to me, is not fair. I couldn't agree more. Well, thank you for doing all the great work that you've been doing for, what, now, 30 years? Uh, keep it up. Thank you so much for your time, Ken. Hey, appreciate you, man. Take care. Likewise. When I think about the two biggest comedic influences of my childhood, it was Johnny Brennan and Weird Al Yankovic, diametrically opposed as you can imagine. But it's great to see a new album from you. When did you start making it? Thank, thank, I appreciate that. Thank you. Funny enough, I got a picture. I think it was two years ago. It was Weird Al Yankovic and myself at um, uh, Steel I think we, No, not Steel City. It was a Comic-Con in Portland, Oregon. And so uh, it was funny because Al and I were supposed to work together years and years ago. Uh, and he, 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 was, he actually created a song uh don't go making phony calls yes and it from tlc from tlc it was um with left eye lisa remember that yeah. that group so and it was their song don't don't go chasing waterfalls he changed it into don't go making phony calls or something like that and it was going to be a jerky boys thing but it was funny it was funny to actually uh, we got a chance to meet each other so yeah no uh, I, you're um this is interesting because it's you know it's been a long time coming um fans have been asking for decades you know yeah. i've been very i've been very busy with family guy and things like that and the jerky boys always you know always never went away the jerky boys was there and people were loving the albums for years i had i had jerky boys one two three four five uh and six six were out there and then i made um a, a ringtone album for mm -hmm. people because at the time ringtones were like four or five dollars a ringtone which i thought was a ripoff so i just gave like a shout out to the fans a big thank you to the fans i mean i think i put 99 tracks and they were all ringbacks and 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 ringtones and so but so there was a, a lot of stuff but the the actual making of a jerky boys record like you know like before i had before i became famous you know the the whole bootleg thing everybody always refers back to the bootleg yeah. Uh, and that, and that's, that's what I felt like was necessary. I didn't make a record like to follow up or to beat another jerky boys record. You know what I mean? Um, I, I just wanted to have that mindset that I had when I ma made the bootleg because I wasn't making it for anybody, but me and my brothers and, you know, just a way for, you know, if anybody else wanted to enjoy the, you know, my characters interacting and, and that's, that's kind of what the beauty of it was. Right. I, of course, had the bootleg tape. I'm going to say 92, 93, somewhere around there. I got it. And I remember there were calls in there that you didn't hear on the first two albums. Yet, do I have it correct 
that a lot of what was on Jerky Boys 3 and 4 was previously recorded? No. The, 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 what, what it was is the bootleg was, and actually 93 is very late. That's, that's a, I was already signed to, uh, I believe I was already signed to Atlantic Records at that time, um, uh, 92-ish, if I'm not mistaken. Um, but yeah, the, the, the bootleg was on the streets in the eighties. You know, I, I know Howard Stern got his hands on it and Howard Stern was talking it up and, and going, it was going nuts. I, I guess that was sometime around 85, 84. Wow. Somebody came, somebody came up to me at a family uh, reunion up at my aunt's place in upstate New York, Wurtsboro, New York. There was a big, we, every year they have these monster family reunions, the Brennans. Yeah. And, and, and funny enough, that was the last one I think I was ever at. You know, uh, but somebody came, oh, my cousins are all coming up to me and they're like, Johnny, you gotta, you gotta, you're not gonna fucking believe it. You're, 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 you're this and you're, all the skits that you do for Joe and Anthony, Joe, those are my brothers. Mm -hmm. So all the skits that you do with the house and you're recording them and I'm, I'm, I'm still perplexed. I'm still like, I'm like, oh man, you mean like, yeah, yeah, it's all over the place where I'm going to college. It's here, it's there, it's, it's, it's everywhere. And, 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 and they, they were telling me about the radio disc jockeys that are all talking about the stuff. And remember now, this is back in the mid eighties. Yeah. Um, and Howard Stern, once he got his hands on it, that's when I, I, I said, oh boy, I, I, you know, cause he, 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 he said, you know, if anybody knows who this Frank Rizzo guy is, this is the funniest thing I've ever heard in my life. So if anybody knows, call into the station. And that's when there was all of these copycats and Tom, Dick and Harry's calling in right. saying it was them. So I said, it's time for me. I, cause I never wanted to, I didn't have any um, intentions of being famous. You see what I'm saying? Yeah. Um, because I was at, at the time I was hanging off buildings in New York city. I was, uh, I was a scaffold worker. I was, and, and I, and everybody is now the word on the street. Everybody's like, Johnny, Oh man, you're, your shit's everywhere. And I'm now I'm going like, Holy crap. It, it looks like I'm not going to have a choice here. It looks like I'm going to be, you know, it's going to hit. The, so anyway, Howard Stern and, and then, it, you know, then the record companies, you know, Atlantic records and, uh, and the rest is history. But, um, it was, it was absolutely, you know, you can't even put a word on because at the time, if you remember, there was no computers, there was no social right. media, there was nothing. So the only way that this got around is people would make a copy of a cassette and they would hand it to a friend and some people would make 10 copies and hand it to friends and family and they stay with their exact words where you're not going to fucking believe this, you got to hear this. And that's, yeah. that's, and, and that was, uh, that's how it spread. It was, in, it was incredible. I thought I knew a lot about your story, but I didn't realize that some of those tapes and calls happened in the mid eighties. Do you remember the first Saul Rosenberg call around what year that was? Well, yeah, I guess if I, if I wanted to, I could go way back into the, into the seventies. Uh, I could, I could even go back when I was a little kid doing those voices back in the sixties. You know, when you're a little kid, you got the old, uh, the little, the little tape cassette. But yeah. when I, the, the ones that got famous for me, the first are the ones that, that I, I was doing in the eighties. Um, and that's what hit the streets. That's when it started to become super famous. And you could say the first, some of the first that you could probably say Sal's phobia when he's talking about his shadow, yeah. you know, <laughs> my shadow, it's always there when I'm in the bathtub trying to take a nice bath. And then Sal starts screaming and yelling. He's like, Oh, and he's, and, and Sal, so Sal's phobia, um, Sal's eyeglasses, you know, Sal blowing his hand off with fireworks you know, but, but they, they all go, 
way, way, way back. And, um, and you know, though, and you know, obviously Frank, the, you know, the auto mechanic and, yeah. uh, that's, those are the ones that when it, they hit, it hit the streets that everybody was like, man, alive. We never heard anything like this. And, and, and that, that's when, uh, that, you know, that was before they coined the whole thing reality, you yeah. know, you know, the whole reality term reality, because the jerky boys, you know, those jerky boys characters, when they hit the scene, man, everybody was like, you're not going to believe this, but it was, it was very cool. It was a very cool thing. And a lot of the biggest comedians at the time, big name comedians, you know, said that it was such a breath of fresh air because it wasn't the, the, the same old, some guy standing up on a stage in front of a red brick wall telling jokes. Yeah. You know, this was something completely different and such a different form of comedy. And it just took the world by storm. And, and, and it's, it, it, and it was also a wonderful thing because it was very lighthearted. Mm-hmm. It was, uh, the character, it was mostly self-deprecating humor, even though, even though Frank Rizzo would scare the bejesus out of people, you know, but yeah. Frank, but Frank, everyone to this day says, yes, Frank would really kind of scare the shit out of you. But, you know, man, I'll tell you what, there was something lovable about Frank. So everybody, sure. you know, it, 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 they were just a great combination. And the characters, I'm sure you know, I've, I've said it many, many years, you know, the characters are based on my family members. Mm-hmm. You know, they're just ex- slightly exaggerated versions of when I do Frank Rizzo, I'm doing my dad. When I do Saul Rosenberg, I'm doing my mom. And I even, you know, even onto Mort Goldman and Family Guy. Yeah. You know, that's that's another version of my mom when she used to get pissed off. And like, you know, that's why, and you see the difference. Saul Rosenberg is much more calm and laid back where Mort Goldman is always ready to throw down. He's, he's, <laughs> he's a little bit more of a fighter than Saul. So that's why we call Mort Goldman Saul's long lost cousin. I never made that connection with all that, the, the difference in dynamics. And I do want to ask you a little bit about that. But uh, one of the constant topics that comes up when I'm doing interviews, I take like 10 inter- interviews a week. Inevitably, I'm going to ask about Van Halen, Kiss, or the Jerky Boys in some way. I'm still kicking myself when I interviewed Ed O'Brien from Radiohead a couple months ago. I forgot to ask about the Pablo Honey album and all that. But when oh. I was talking to the former MTV VJ Kennedy last week, she told me a story of her and Henry Rollins and David Lee Roth listening to the first Jerky Boys album and her and Henry Rollins cracking up and David Lee Roth actually not laughing. And they're like, why aren't you laughing? And he's like, because these people don't know any better. They're not in on the joke. That is the <laughs> first time I've ever heard somebody not get the Jerky Boys. That, David Lee Roth, he's a character, you know, but I know Van Halen, they go way back. Eddie Van Halen, you know, I, I actually know Marshall Burrell. Marshall Burrell managed wow. me. So Marshall managed me in and around the year 2000. And so Marshall, you know, the whole story of Marshall Burrell and Van Halen. And, yes. so, and, and so Eddie, Eddie, Eddie and Marshall, very good friends. And um, it was funny, uh, a few years back, there was a book that came out and, and Marshall was on the phone with me and Eddie was there. I said, hey, Ted, Eddie's like, yeah, tell him I said hello. We, we never got a chance to talk, though, but Van Halen was always huge Jerky Boys fans. But David Lee Roth, that sounds perfect for David because David, you know, he's, he's definitely a character. Jane Kennedy, uh, you know, it's funny because that whole time Jane was, you know, on MTV at that time. And it's so funny. Uh, I, 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 I'm sure I'll get a chance to tell her someday. We were at Woodstock together, Woodstock 94. And um, it's funny. I, I, I was walking and I, I just finished my uh, little stint on the stage. It was, I'll never forget, Sunday morning. And I went on uh, up on stage and all I did was say a couple of things inside. I said, 
like five, five, four, five hundred thousand people out there, just an right. ocean of people. And I had a deal with Walt Disney Pictures. I couldn't show my face, so I had to wear a bandana because the movie had. It, we were working on the movie, so I went up on stage with a bandana, and I, I'm looking out at this ocean of people, and I just said, "Yes, excuse me." Oh, I, I, I need help. I think I, I lost both my shoes in all that mud. And that's all I said. And, and you just hear ah, five, 500,000 people. I never heard anything like it in my life. Right. And then I said a couple of Frank Rizzo lines and this and that and the other thing. Then they took me out. Uh, I got out away from the stage and, you know, there was a massive crowd down waiting for uh, the limousines. And I, just as I'm walking, I lift my head up. I almost slam right into her. It was Jane Kennedy. And, you know, who knows where she was going, and, you know, but it was, it was funny. That's, and I, I always said, yeah, someday I'll probably get to tell her that story. But, um, yeah, that's a, that was a big time back then, you know, because uh, at that particular time, the Jerky Boys was just insane. You know, you're talking about motion pictures, your books, and, and, and it was just incredible. I remember that weird MTV VHS tape that you guys did where they had the temps and you were prank calling them and it was like surveillance taped and all that. Were right. there a lot of one-off projects for the Jerky Boys that were discussed but didn't happen? Was it one of those scenarios? Not really. Everything that I have to say, knock on wood, everything that I ever did, everything we ever did, it, it was golden. It was golden. I mean, I, I got what, that video you're talking about that you see everybody tell you right up straight. They say, well, that video created punked and all these other videos that would come many years later. Yeah. And with this whole inspiration of this hidden camera, we were doing hidden cameras long before they had taxi cab confessions or whatever the hell it was. Yeah. So we, we were doing that shit eons ago and it was a project for Sony and MTV combination sony mtv and it it was a, 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 a it was a platinum selling video i have the plaque on my wall i mean you know who 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 buys that many videos right but <laughs> you know because it was a jerky boys project jerky boys product uh people wanted to have it they had to have it and that's the way it's been through all of the years with jerky boys people it's 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 just it's it's, it's a beautiful thing because you know i when i went to sell beer for anheuser-busch you know, Budweiser beer, you know, same thing, you know, through the roof, everything, because people love the characters. And I, I always tell everybody this, it's, it's not about, it has not, it's, it's not, of course it has something to do with me at the end of the day. Cause I, I create the characters and I, I voice the characters, but it's about those lovable characters. That's what people really get a kick out of. And at, at, at the end of the day, I mean, it's just, it's, 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 it's just, it's great stuff. And yet when you see Saul and how many people love Saul, how many people love Jack Torse, you know, yeah. think about my, my gay character, my gay character. When I was doing my gay character, that was, it was taboo. I yeah. mean, I remember even doing commercials for Anheuser-Busch, Budweiser. I remember doing commercials for them. They focus grouped my gay character commercials, my Jack commercials. And Jack Torse was amazing. Everybody, they actually rented Limelight in New York City the nightclub limelight Hell yeah. and, and they had a, 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 like a party for gay people to come out and to focus group the jerky, the, you know, Johnny's gay character, uh, Budweiser commercials. They absolutely went nuts. They said that these should be on the air. They're incredibly funny. And, but at the end of the day, see, this, this is what I'm trying to tell you. At the end of the day, Budweiser was still like, yeah, you know what? I don't know. And they didn't air them. They didn't air them. 
Is, isn't that funny? And that, that, yeah. that, that you're only talking about 20 years ago with that particular project. And even then yeah. they were careful, careful today that today that would be just a no brainer. You see? Yeah. So very interesting angles. And again, once again, my, Everybody loves RuPaul. RuPaul, huge fan of mine. I did Ru, RuPaul loves Jack Torres. Everybody, you know, that they, they get it, you know, and it, once again, Jack Torres, everybody, you know, we always say, that's the original diva bitch, Jack Torres. <laughs> Jack, you know, because Jack Torres, nothing, nothing made him, nothing um, excited him. Everything was just old hat to him. It's you old know. hat to him, sweetheart. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I did that years ago, honey. That, uh, you know, like Jack, nothing excited him, but that's what was great about Jack and all of the characters. Um, but just great stuff, man. Right. So looking at everything that's going on, I'm curious because you've evolved with the times. For example, I remember uh, the Jerky Boys four or five was on Laugh.com, which was a way too soon dot com record company. But has the way that you record your phone calls changed, or are you still doing everything on speakerphone? Um, yeah, well, see, that's what I'm saying too. With that, it's a very, very, very awesome album, and a lot of people love it. Jerky Boys fans, diehards love it. That one that 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 was up, but that's calls that I had. See, that's calls that I had in the can that I never thought to use because they were nine minutes, ten minutes, and I, I you know, I, I was like, yeah, these are they'll just never work. They're just they're way too long. So right. I just put them aside and I never used them. But there weren't that many. There was only I think like seven or eight of them, maybe nine of them, and they were really long. But people started asking me like crazy, Johnny, do you have any longer skits? So I said to myself, wow, you know what? Maybe I should try to put out a record with, with these long skits. And, and, but but it, like I said, they were in the can. I had them. All I had to do was just put them on the record. And funny enough, that was Marshall Burrow we were just talking about. Oh, yeah. He, he owned, he owned Laugh.com. Oh, um, he owned Laugh.com. I never knew that. See, when I think of Marshall Burrow, I think of the initial success of Ben Halen, then all the success he did with the band Rat, and of course, yes, his uncle yes, was. Yes. I never knew he managed you or Laugh.com was his. Wow. Yes. Yes. Yep. George Carlin and I were actually on at the same time. George Carlin yes. was a, a huge fan of, of the jerky boys. Um, and I obviously, uh, you know, growing up as a kid, Carlin was fantastic. The, you know, funny enough, I, I loved Richard Pryor, you know, I love Carlin and, um, and, and I always tell people, you know, Bill Cosby, man, you, I understand, you know, whatever went through in his life, whatever happened in his life, but that guy could, get up on a stage and he could tell stories where you were literally pissing yourself and he didn't say one curse word. Right. Not one. And I remember even through growing up as a kid and right into adulthood, you know, Cosby was no joke. He, when it came to comedy, that guy was no joke, but, um, you know, I understand, you know, things happen and all the, the tragic nonsense that's gone on in his life. Uh, very sad, but you know, um, when you, when you're looking back at it, you know, it's, just things that, uh, you know, it's a crazy, it's a crazy life, you know? Yeah. But, but anyway, so that, that, that I was on there with, uh, Marshall Burl and, um, that was a many, that was Jesus. That was 99, that 98, 98, 98 99. Yeah. But uh, yeah, so that, uh, that was that, but, um, you know, this, this, this new record, that's why I'm, I'm really excited about this new record because, you know, I had to do, you know, this was like I said, 
I had to just, and, and it was very strange because it took me a long time as well. Uh, because you got to have it here. You got to be in, you got to be in that mindset. And you know, as well as I do, I don't have to tell you, look at like the world over these last year, two years, there's a lot of stuff going on and a lot of stuff that, you know, you're not really feeling too happy. You know what I'm saying? But you got to reach inside and you got to go to a place. I mean, I know it might not, it might not make any sense to you or it might sound like to your listeners or your, your, your viewers may not make any sense, but it, it, it's, you really need a place. You need, you need, you need to be able to get, if I'm going to do Saul Rosenberg, I got to have that place. You know, if I'm going to do, you know, any of my characters, you know, you gotta, you, you gotta, it's, it's like crazy. You gotta get there, you know? And that's what made me feel really good about this, this record, because right off the top, I'm doing weird shit. I'm doing stuff that I didn't even think I was going to do certain characters coming out of my mouth that I said, wow, I kind of, I kind of dig this because I'm not doing it for anybody, but me. Right. I'm not, I'm, I'm not sitting here trying to, because I, I, I'm doing it with that sense that I have no clue. Let me just go with this. Let's have some fun. And that's exactly how I did it decades and decades ago. And it became the jerky boys. So you know what? That it, it, it I think it was just, it, it was a little bit of a tough time, but I think it's, it's, it, it was pretty it, all in the end. And was very interesting. I don't know if you got a chance to see previews or the artwork yet or the cover. It's yeah. the, it's the original artist, Sean Taggart, the original artist. He was doing t-shirts. He was doing my t-shirt cartoon uh, work back in the early eighties. So, you know, it's really amazing, Sean. And it's, it's funny. There's a funny story behind it. It almost didn't happen. Mm -hmm. But that's, that's a whole, that's a whole, because we're trying different things and Sean's doing his thing and he's, Sean is fucking terrific. He's amazing. And if you look at his, at his work over the years, he's amazing. So just a wonderful story. And, and, and when it almost didn't happen, I go to message the record label, send them an email. And just say to them, okay, use Sean's earlier drawing. And then, but I, I, just before I say anything to the record label, I say, oh shit, there's an email from Sean Taggart. I open up the email and there's the record cover. And I was like, holy shit. I got on the phone and I said, Sean, that's it. That's it. It's fucking beautiful. So it was like, it was like, a, it was like almost like a miracle how it came together. And um, it's just awesome to have all of this together. To have, it's just, it's just awesome. The, the emphasis is usually going to be on the first two Jerky Boys albums, but I think that you've had some great classics beyond that. For example, The Hucklebuck, I think is up there with among the best work that you ever did. So yeah. one thing that I'm curious about, aside from that compliment, for every good call you have, around how many bad calls or unusable calls do you think you have? See, that's, the, I, my, I put my right hand to God my mom passed away in 2016. I swear on my mom, I don't have anything. That's why this, this, I don't have anything. Like I said to you, I don't have anything in the can. And it's funny. I'm teaching myself now. I was always a very big believer. I don't stealing to me is pathetic. Stealing is pathetic. And in the comedy world, I've seen things that would make anybody sick. They, they have no qualms about stealing stealing people's work and, and making believe the worst part about it is making believe it's theirs. Right. That's the worst part. So I was this asshole going back all these decades that I would never bite off myself. I didn't want to do two this. I didn't want to do two of that. 
I, and, but now I'm teaching myself, nobody gives a shit. Don't be so hard on yourself. <laughs> if you got something that's a pretty decent idea, you know, if, if, as long as the calls are fantastic, nobody gives a shit if you do, if you do two water mechanics or, or you call two garages or I was just way too hard on myself, way too hard on myself. So I kind of, there's no need to be that hard on yourself. If you got two great calls, who cares? But, um, so that's the, that's the thing. But, um, you know, on this now, I, I don't, I never had, the only time I had stuff laying around was the one we just talked about. It's called the jerky tapes. Mm-hmm. And I had, I believe eight or 10 of these calls that were 10 minutes long. And I didn't think anybody would want to hear that. So I, I never even thought to look at them. So I said, shit, let me try it. And that's the only time I've ever had anything later. And I'll never forget being asked over the years. People would say, Johnny, do you have any, anything laying around that you may not have thought was good that you could just use on a record? I said, I wish that was, that was the big thing I was saying. I wish I had stuff laying around, but no, I don't have, that's why this album was so hard because I had to do everything. And now the beautiful thing is now I have, I would probably say, I probably have about 10 calls now, brand new calls, maybe 15, maybe even 16 or 17 that are brand new that are just laying around and they're fantastic. They're really, really fantastic. So that's a good thing. And it's kind of made me say to myself, you know what, even if I try and just do one or two a day, mm-hmm. you know, but it was, it's, it, it was so strange though to get into that mindset. I'd be like, yeah, oh, maybe I'll do one later this afternoon and I'll be like, yeah. And it never happens, but you, uh, slowly you're never too old to learn, you know? So you're starting to teach yourself to try to change habits. You know, so I guess that answers your question. But no, I didn't. No, no, nothing laying around. I well, wish. My, my last question before my last compliment to you is, Johnny. <laughs> any last words for the kids? Yeah, you know what's funny? You mean my kids or all kids? All kids. All kids. Uh, <clears throat> you know, I would say to all kids, enjoy life. You know, as, especially as you're growing up, mm-hmm. just enjoy your life and don't, you know, nobody has to tell you, you know, how your life should be lived. It's always absolutely fantastic. Listen to your moms and your dads and get your educations and all that stuff. But I would say to children, if they have dreams, you know, any kind of dream, well, you know, I don't care if it's jumping motorcycles, if it's, <laughs> I don't know, you know, building bridges, you know, to just go after it. Go after it as, 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 hard as, you, as hard as you can. And especially if it's something that you love. You see too many kids, they might have dreams of being artists. They might have dreams of being rappers or being guitar players mm-hmm. or being something that they want, they really want in their heart. Go for it. You know, go for it. You know, uh, you know this, is a, this is an amazing thing. It's, a, it's an opposite flip side story for me because I was doing characters, I think probably since I could walk. And, and I, as a little kid, I, I was mimicking my mom when I was only five years old and getting smacked around for it. <laughs> and, and, and so, and, but that was just me mimicking characters. And I always had an ability because I lived in so many different neighborhoods to pick up dialects, Spanish, Greek, uh, pick them up. And I was a little kid doing Greek voices, Spanish voices. I, I, I tell the story many times over the years about uh, my gay voice, Jack. I was, I was, it was 1966 when I was doing Jack tours. Um, because of a guest that was staying at our house 
And uh, but, it, but it's, it, that's a, a, another story. But again, to get back to what we said about the kids, you know, I, I, the flip side was that I wasn't looking to be famous ever. I wasn't looking to be. And but sometimes you create something in this world that can't be contained. And even though, you know, I've learned now, now I appear at shows. I, I was at Woodstock in front of 500,000 people. So, um, you know, so you, you have to force yourself. That's a great thing to tell the kids. I try to teach this to my youngest daughter. Force yourself out of your comfort zone. Force yourself out of your comfort zone and you will be shocked at the wonderful things that'll happen. Well said. And, you know, then- and I, I, remember, I remember Adam Carolla. I, I, I don't know what show I saw him on one time. He said the same thing. I think it was on Dancing with the Stars or something. And Carolla said so, so, very similar. He said every time he forces himself out of his comfort zone, Good things, good things can happen. Good things might happen. Good things can come. You know, you never know what's going to happen. But I do live by that. And, and I've been teaching myself that over the last 15, maybe 12, 15 years. And that's a great message to the kids. Force yourself out of your, if you feel comfortable, you feel safe just being here and not, you might have gifts that you don't even know. Force yourself out of your comfort zone. Cool. And that promise compliment is, a couple of years ago when my wife and I got married in Vegas, we chose every song in the order that is to be played. The DJ just had to press play. Six, seven songs in, music stops, heard at work plays in the middle of the wedding, horrifies the whole wedding uh, <laughs> party. So the Jerky Boys were played at our wedding. Thanks to you for the many, many years of entertainment, Johnny. That, that, thank you. You'd be surprised. I do a lot of the uh, like weddings, and people love the love the Jerky Boys at their weddings. But that is a great story. I love it. Um, th- heard it work today. You said, yeah, that's great. That's great. That's one of the you know people can all Google it. It's one of the all time greats. Uh, that that's fantastic, man. I appreciate everything. Exactly. Well, keep up the greatness. Glad to hear there's more coming in the very near future. Just keep up the, all the stuff there. So glad you're back. Thank you very much, and I appreciate the interview. Thank you. Thanks, Paltrowcast. Thanks for checking out the Paltrowcast with Darren Paltrowitz, produced by V13 Media, theme song by Steve Schiltz, audio mixing by Mark Pirro. Until next time, have a great Shabbos. Paltrowcast.